and welcome back to the Dice Breaker podcast. Uh, it's episode 53. I don't know what the bingo call is for 53, but I imagine it's incredibly exciting, but nowhere near as exciting as something that rhymes with 53. It's Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy Gage. How are you doing? Welcome to the Dice Breaker podcast. Hello. Thank you. I'm doing well. I am excited to be here in a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, it's about nine in the morning over there, right? So <laughs> everyone can excuse uh, a slightly sleepiness vibe from you, <laughs> or maybe some birdsong in the background. Yeah. Um, but more, more importantly, um, and well, well, quickly. I mean, I should say, of course, we are also joined by the ineffable Alex Meehan. Yeah, Hello, Alex Meehan, how are you I'm doing? in the corner. I'm sat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat on a plastic tool stool in the corner. Yeah. You're on the kids' table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, here, give us a little chance here uh, for Jeremy to talk about Jeremy. Who are you? Where are you from? What what kind of stuff do you do? Where can people find you? Tell us about yourself, my friend. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Jeremy Gage. I am the host of the Draw Your Dice podcast. You can find it on your favorite distributors. Uh, you can find me at Jeremy Gage Five over on Twitter. I am stationed in the states, over in the Greater Cleveland area of Ohio. So, shout out to all Ohioans who may or may not be watching or listening to this show. <laughs> and I'm also on the Tabletop Call-In Show. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash Adam E. Bell. Uh, Adam is an excellent co-host and really carries the show. So come at, get your questions answered. I guess I have questions here today that I'll answer, but if you have more, please come to the show. This is going to be a strange one for you because you're used to asking other people questions, but we're going to be throwing questions yes. your way. So we'll see how you stand <laughs> up. Uh, to the I think this is literally my first, like, uh, I think this is the first time I've been interviewed on another podcast in, in a really long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have nothing but um, <laughs> nothing but respect and confidence in, in your ability. I'm yeah. sure we'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for anyone not watching but listening at home, a very very confident face there for Jeremy as well. Uh, so we'll kick things off as we usually do with just a little intro and and what we've been playing at the moment as a team. Uh, Jeremy, we'll we'll start with you as our as our esteemed guest. Like, what games have you been playing recently? Tell us about them. Tell us what you, tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, uh, most regularly, I play a game called Lighthearted by Kurt Potts. Mm-hmm. It is a fantasy magic school world set in the late eighties, nineteen eighty seven to be specific. So everyone wields the power of neon to lesser or greater effect, depending on what grade you're in, and uh, it's kind of taking from classic 80s, like uh, coming of age stories. So I think about stuff like The Breakfast Club and uh, even some like musical things like uh, Grease and uh, Footloose mm-hmm. and combines that with sort of like uh, separated from its creator, but like sort of the magical school, maybe like a little bit of Harry Potter vibe, but also maybe like inspired by animes as well. Some magical school animes. And yeah, that's about, that's about that one. I play it pretty much every Monday. It's been a great time. I just started playing it. I love the mechanics. You basically operate with this spectrum band of emotions. So every scene you start in a particular emotion related to a color of the rainbow and you know, uh, as I 
engage in different conflicts, that spectrum will move over and increase or decrease the effectiveness of particular emotions for me. So for example, if I'm feeling particularly calm and peaceful, I'm resting inside of the green spectrum. And when I engage in conflict that might have me feeling detached or cold or icy, such as violet, uh, my spectrum will move over one and that determines the die size that's used for that spectrum. So really neat game by Kurt and Kate Potts. Uh, I highly recommend it. And then... Uh, I've been I played two games over like a cabin trip with a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. One is called Selfish. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that on the show, the but um, it's a uh, the version I played is a space version and it has you set out astronaut cards and like time markers. You have like seven turns or something like mm-hmm. that, and in your hand you have oxygens. The object of the game is to get back to the space shuttle because you've all been jettisoned for whatever reason, and you it's a competitive game so you are trying to get there first with, while your oxygen is in, in place ads, i'm assuming <laughs> absolutely so you're like floating around free in space and you have like little tasers and stuff and rocket boosts <laughs> and uh you have cards that like steal oxygen from mm-hmm. other players uh it it creates an interesting atmosphere for the game for yeah. sure it's like oh shoot i'm i'm killing you oh no so it's like it's like but, gravity but you're yeah you're, you're not trying to save each other you're trying to try to kill each other yeah yeah uh and then the last one that i recently played was epic spell wars of battle wizards oh i love that yeah. game epic such epic a battle of the spell wizards on yeah. mount skullfire or yeah. whatever it's called yeah, yeah. it's so good it's so it's good so i was dumb i love it i was <laughs> <laughs> i i love the combining of spells and the sort of like at first like when i first started playing it's hard to like figure out oh the left right thing or like across from you or a random player or whatever but after you sort of get the hang of like targeting left and right players, the game takes on a whole new like meta lifestyle. And you are just, let's just say Jeremy likes to be competitive. That's all. <laughs> I mean, That's have, you, all. have you played Epic Battle? I can't remember what the hell. The epic, real title is. Epic, it's a very long name. Yeah, Epic, epic Spell, Spell Battle Mountain Wars. Yeah, Wizard War. <laughs> I've heard of it. I. I think I might have played it eons ago or something. It it rings a bell. I know roughly the concept of it and kind of what it looks like. It's got a very cartoon like comic. Yeah, it's it's got mm-hmm, like a sort mm-hmm. of like it's it's almost like it reminds me of like a like heavy metal mixed with Adventure yeah. Time kind of like art style to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's super yes, yeah, super like sort of cartoony, but like in a fun sort of like bombastic, explodey way. There's about eight different testicle spells as well, which is like <laughs> wow, gives you Will. an idea of the tone. You're making yeah. this. Uh, it's a... called Testicle. <laughs> testicle. Sorry. You're making this a very testicular podcast. I have to say. <laughs> I did say nads earlier. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I and promise that's it's the not, theme. It's not usually this testicular here on the Dying <laughs> Podcast um, But yeah, no, I, I love that game. I love how um, the spell system works because you basically get like mm-hmm. you kind of have like the the spectrum of a spell, and then you'll have cards that will either sit on the left, the middle, or the right. So you kind of have to like combine them into this like really long mm-hmm. sort of like picture card almost that combines them all into different effects. It's really, really, mm-hmm. it's goofy. It's really goofy mm-hmm. fun. Like, yeah. it's not the kind of thing that you'd, like, take very seriously, I don't think. But, like, it's that's kind of one of its charms. Like, it's just kind of... You're just kind of making dumb spells and murdering each other with them, which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. So yeah, that's been that's been about the games I've played recently, and I'm also playing in a D and D five E game. But to shout out the podcast, we're playing um, Domain of the Nameless God, which is by the Dark Dice Podcast, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the best D and D actual play podcasts I've ever listened to. It's sort of like audio drama meets an actual play, which is okay. really really cool horror style and the creators have made a supplement adventure that we are playing through uh and it's very good yeah i I genuinely don't think i've ever listened to an actual play like i think it's just because i don't have much time for podcasts Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. like because i know you you um listen to critical role right man yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i'm Mm -hmm. one of those basic <laughs> with your pumpkin spice latte i am a critter one might say uh yeah i listened to that and i used to listen to adventure zone for a bit and to be honest i need to branch out some more i'm one of those people who finds it very difficult to try something new particularly actual play podcast because i feel it they can be really good or they can be really quite bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but I I think I've heard of this this um, actual play that you mentioned, Jeremy. I've seen it like pop up on mm-hmm. on the old the old Twitter feed, the, uh, the old Twitter dot the old Twitter dot com. <laughs> Hit me up. And, oh, there's, a, there's a gentleman on that. I can't remember what his name is, but he's been on he's been on like Critical Role playthroughs they've done before. Uh, oh. Yeah, he's got a very imposing sort of presence, but I can't remember what his name is. But um, this is fascinating to listen to. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is like a conversation with my mum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, who was that nice young man? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I, I definitely would give it a listen with your recommendation because I mm-hmm. have time for culture. <laughs> As opposed to Wheels, who yeah, does not? No, no I'm, I'm entirely cultureless. Yeah. So, yeah. You just watch your cartoons and eat your what's it, don't you? Yeah, I've, I've got no cultures, whereas me and it's like a fine yogurt, just full of cultures. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm an Onkun, definitely. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it matters, Dark Dice is only like anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes, depending on the episode. Oh, wow, that's so, that, that's yeah. a lot shorter it, than Critical Role, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, God, is it Dave Walters? Is that his name? Is we're all gonna frantically no now look what I've done. Excuse (laughs) us. Be Dave Walters. No, yeah, L.A. by Night. Dave Walters. Yes, that's where I know them from. DM for the Black Dice Society. There you go. There it is. It came to me eventually. I knew them from. Shout out to Dave Walters. Thank you very much. L.A. by Night. (laughs) I hope you're listening, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I I used to watch L.A. by Night for a bit, which is a Vampire the Masquerade Mm -hmm. actual play Mm -hmm. because I really got obsessed with the game for a bit and then i was like where is good content for this so <laughs> yeah uh burn there um yeah there you go i've derailed this enough oh it's we'll take of, control it's kind of just how we do this <laughs> podcast though isn't it it's basically what we do every week to see how far we can derail it just literally i love it on the other side of the planet from the train tracks um <laughs> but yeah no so well me and um what have you been playing this week let us know oh. about the the sweet hot tabletop action you've been getting involved with. Oh, Wills. Um, the action is very slow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Some weeks I'm playing non-stop, really busy. Other weeks it's real quiet. Um, 
So this week I played some backgammon. Why no no hold up. I love backgammon. Backgammon's really good. <laughs> all the the game all the kids are playing. <laughs> it's hot, fresh new designs just come out. Yeah, yeah. I've did, heard, you, did you know that backgammon is like super um popular with like investment bankers? No. Because they um, gamble with it. Yeah, no, the thing is, this backgammon set I have, which was given to me by my parents. Uh, it smells as old as it looks. Um, it's <laughs> it got, got the double or nothing die. It's yeah, yeah, it does. It's yeah. got like the double or nothing, and it's got like a little rule book that comes with it, uh, and it says in there like the gambling rules. And I was like, if I if I had money, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like I dang it, it's kind of like playing a poker hand where it's like you know you've got. Um, like you, you've got like a thing that you can both technically be good at, but it's all based on odds. And then as the game progresses, you're kind of like up in the ante as you're like, yeah. no, no, I reckon I'm actually doing pretty well, so I'm, I'm happy to double the bet. And then it sort of keeps going back and forth. Mm. The um, thing is, I think that's even stupider than than poker gambling because backgammon is such it's a game that's so based on luck that. <laughs> I just think if you're betting money on it, it's about the same level as a roulette. Like at least with, <laughs> I'd say I'd say it's higher than roulette. I don't know. You've, you've still got strat- strategic decisions to make. Like I'd, so, if anyone's if anyone's watching and they don't know the rules to backgammon, me and how how do you play backgammon? <laughs> like Jeremy, for example. There we go. <laughs> no idea. Okay, Jeremy, let me take you back to a time in in <laughs> yeah we're we're yeah we're traveling back to the old England. It's like what the 1700s. Yeah. We've got a powdered wig and a corset. On. Oh, for We're... sure. <laughs> yeah, we both have powdered wigs and corsets on. Uh, so I'm sitting you down with the backgammon. Uh, it's a game where the it's two players. Where each player have like their own set of counters, uh, and the board is very odd. Uh, it's like uh, there's two sides to it. Um, so each a side to each where each player's facing. And then you've got these lines sort of spread out across it. And then you the end of the game is to get all your counters like in your side of of the board. So the board mm-hmm. is kind of split into four almost. Uh, mm-hmm. and the your counters will travel a certain direction uh, around the board to get to your side, like your little corner. So you take mm-hmm. turns to roll two dice. Uh, and then you choose to use those dice to move your counters along the lines in the direction towards your sort of corner. And mm-hmm. so, like, the the dice can refer to two different counters. So if you rolled a three and a four, you could use the three on one and the four on another. Or you could mm-hmm. use the dice for the same counter if you wanted to move it farther. So you move it, like, mm-hmm. along these lines. Uh, and then the other player is trying to do exactly the same. And it's basically whoever managed to get all their counters in their corner. And then, this is the really luck-based part, where you... Me and language! Yeah, I'm saying it! <laughs> I'm going to have to beat that now. <laughs> My language has been terrible this, round, this uh, episode. Apologies. Um, Testicular? Yeah. Um, honestly, I forgot we couldn't swear for a bit. Uh, <laughs> oh! Sorry, Jerry, um, we should have told you that as well, actually. But I'm, I'm fine. You've been very well Not as well much made. as a potty mouth as I'm Alex Meehan, so. Um Yeah, you have, to, you have to roll your dice and the numbers will correspond to 
the lines in your corner. So if you roll a free, the line, you know, third line along, you'll be able to take a counter from that, put it in your little home base. Mm. You, yeah, mm-hmm. you can't stop doing that until you have all your counters in your corner. So it does have strategy to it in terms of which counters you choose to move and, uh, you know, um, when you you choose to use your, your dice. Um, but then by the mm-hmm. time it gets to the end, it's very very luck based uh and i i don't know i guess i'm just salty because i had some games well where... so so here's the thing and i think you've and i don't know if this is because you haven't been playing with the rule or if you've like just sort of missed talking about it but there's one thing that makes backgammon like a really competitive game and that's you can capture each other's pieces so mm. like whilst whilst you're imagine imagine this board is kind of like a u-shape right and each each yep. team is starting on either end of it and the goal is to get to the other side of the U-shape. Mm. Um, but as you go along those paths, if you ever find a single piece that's on a space on its own, yeah. you can put a piece above it and capture it, and it will get locked back at the start of the the course. You can only oh, get God. that piece off by rolling it, rolling a number to get it into an empty space. But if you filled up the section where it needs to get into it's really really hard to get that piece back yeah so you end up actually losing turns based on that mm. um so oh, it's kind God. of like a position of like how how safe can you keep your pieces as you're moving them along not just how quickly because yeah. if you go a little mm. bit too too aggressive you can leave you your, your counters exposed yeah and exactly yeah. captured but um uh, basically it's a very hard game to explain through audio means it's super abstract <laughs> yeah no i'm tracking i'm here for it because google, it's super you're abstract yeah google backgammon and then you'll see what the board looks like it might give you a bit more of an idea yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a you know it's a classic i i like it um it you know and it's you can find it on like a billion places to play it online as well mm-hmm. it's like one of those classic like chess it's a poly backgammon. Game, right? like yeah it's, it's a yeah, it's, game. it's, it's super old-fashioned um, yeah but it's uh, really good fun it's good yeah um so we we I, I played some of that and i also played more quacks of quedlinburg because it seems that this is a new hot game in our group <laughs> um, it's all the rage <laughs> yeah yeah um means really up on with the on the beat like up with yeah, the times you know? I'm, yeah <laughs> i'm very hip the kids one might, might say <laughs> Hello, fellow children. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. No, uh, have you played Quacks, Jeremy? No, never. Uh, yeah, it's it's become a bit of a household name in the in the Dicebreaker group, as it were. Lonely's is, is in love with that game. Um, yeah, it's Quacks of Quedlinburg is like a... It's, it's a sort of... It's a bag-building game, but there's a huge amount of luck involved in it so you have all these ingredients and some of the ingredients they're cherry bombs lolis call them snowdrops i don't i call them dingleberries (laughs) you call them dingleberries (laughs) um yeah they they serve the same function um Mm. uh and yeah you have this pot and you have to put ingredients into it and the ingredients are on this track that are like in the that's in the pot and uh, mm. the further along the track you get, the more rewards you get. But uh, the cherry bombs, if you place a, a tote, so each of the cherry bombs is worth a certain amount of points, let's say. And if you reach above seven, a total of cherry bombs points, 
then your pot explodes and you yeah yeah it's quite dramatic <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you sort of have you, ha- you have a sort of sacrifice because of that uh, and as you go along the game you can buy more ingredients um, for you to randomly draw into your pot uh, mm-hmm. each each turn and it basically ups it changes like the the chances of oh uh, uh, am I going to pick up a cherry bomb or am I going to put you know something different and the ingredients do different abilities as well that can help you get further mm. along that track and get more victory points and money you can spend on ingredients so it's like a it again it's a good mixture of strategy and luck um whether you choose oh i'm gonna i'm gonna take out the bag one last time and hopefully it won't be a cherry bomb and explode my pot but um <laughs> yeah, the the mod we play, the mod we play. If you explode, you can like click a button, and uh, smoke comes out of the pot. <laughs> it's very. Exciting. I was just listening to the last episode about that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what what's technology? Ta- tabletop sim mod is getting pretty pretty adept. To be fair, like shout out yeah. shout out to all the tabletop modders, tabletop yeah, yeah. sim modders on Steam. Uh, like uh, parentheses, uh, buy games where you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, the 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 mod is impressive. But um, yeah, Quacks is great. Quacks is Quacks a really is really good. fun push yeah. game. I think yeah. I think I've got my friend group hooked, which is uh, bad for Mr. Jarvis because he doesn't li- like that game that much. So <gasps> Matt Jarvis Aww. doesn't like Quacks. Well, he likes it well enough. I think he just thinks Ooh. that that people think it's better than it is. So you know what he's like. Ooh, it's hot takes. He, he does have some free hot takes. <laughs> speaking so of hot spicy. takes. Speaking of hot takes, if you're finished, man. Yeah, I'm uh, done. <laughs> which I can I can see from the Google Talk. Uh, I have been playing Magic the Gathering Arena. In fact, I played it over lunch and the game overrun. So I was just like, sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm conceding, I promise. It was very um, unprofessional. I have to, <laughs> to apologise to Jeremy. Oh. Look, I need I am a, totally chill. I need a break at some point. I'm a busy boy. Um, but yeah, I've been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about it later because we've got Strixhaven news coming up. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been playing with the new sets. I've been I, I, I started trying draft mode as well, which is a um, is that where the big I'm boys pre- play or it's it's gambling, man. Like it's what? genuinely, <laughs> I, it's pretty shady. Like so I. <laughs> So I, I did this like um, event for Strixhaven where we got like a little preview of some of the cards and, and some of the lore behind it and stuff. And we'll talk about that a little bit later with the news article. But it came with loads of like free gems for Arena because, you know, like press events and stuff. They're like, go play the game. So, okay, cool. Um, so I, I tried, I was like, oh, I've never tried drafting because I usually, I don't really spend much money in free-to-play games. You know, I'm frugal when it comes to free-to-play games. Um, so I tried to draft mode out. But the way the draft works is you basically, you know, you're drafting cards, right? So you draft a deck you get kind of random selections and then you try and build the best deck you can. And then you see how far you can go with that deck, which is quite a fun format. Um, so I think you get to like keep the cards that you draft as long as you're doing a certain thing. So you get a kind of like quote unquote monetary value out of it. Um, but the way that it works is you have uh, a sort of track of wins. And for every win that you get, you increase the rewards that you get after you're finished. So if you win one time, you might get a pack of cards and 50 gems. You win two times, you might get 100 gems instead. You know, and then it goes up and up and up. Um, and then, basically, if you lose three times, 
you just you quit so whatever you ended up at that's your reward and then you have to pay for entry to the draft again but this is the thing so you like gems are the in-game currency right that you have to buy with real money um so you purchase a, a pass to go in which costs gems and then you win incrementally more gems as you go but you only make your money back after like eight wins so it, it very much feels like gambling to me like it's like i reckon i can win eight times and if i do i get all my money back and it's like oh this feels wrong going down a dark path wills i'm worried for you well i don't pay any money so it's fine <laughs> um, slippery slope yeah. it is a slippery, slippery slope, slope. I, I was talking to chase who's our um sort of like part-time news reporter uh who is very very good um and he was he was literally like coaching me through the drafts and stuff he was like okay like do this do this and i was like chase i just lost three in a row and he's like just just quit there wheels like don't (laughs) don't get sucked in because you'll have a bad day if you do um but yeah also i think uh if you play um blue and magic then you're a tory uh but so anyway right moving on wow Um, more hot takes okay (laughs) carry on (laughs) Moving on, I've also played. Da, 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 we need to get a jingle for this. My updates from Arkham Horror. Yeah, Arkham Horror. Um, Woo! <laughs> I've been playing Arkham Horror LCG. Um, we finally. So, uh, Jeremy, you said you listened to the last episode, did you? Yeah, just yeah. I listened about up to the halfway point before I fell asleep in bed. <laughs> Nighttime is my it, by, podcast. By the way, it was three p.m. <laughs> yeah. That's how boring your podcast is. Oh my god, don't do this to me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been playing um, Arkham Horror, The Living Card mm-hmm. Game with my partner. Um, so last time, like our last run of plays, we, we got on the Essex County Express uh, because we were trying to make it to uh, Dunwick, which is like the sort of central mm-hmm. area of the campaign. And we got absolutely annihilated. So we, no. we went back to the start of the scenario because we've been giving ourselves like one retry for each one. And we actually managed to smash it. So we have, we've gone through the train. Uh, we exploded someone with some dynamite. It was fantastic. Uh, my character was an absolute MVP. And now we've arrived at Dunwick and we're ready to get things kicking off. And I've looked at the next pack, like the next blister pack with the next scenario, and it looks pretty dangerous. So <laughs> tune in next time to find out what happens to our characters. Um, but speaking of Arkham Horror, me and Lodi's also played the digital like video game adaption of Arkham Horror, Uh-oh. which plays nothing like Arkham Horror, uh, but it's more like Mansions <laughs> of Madness that, um, that Matt Jarvis was also talking about last week. Uh, Mother's Embrace, which we've got a Let's Play of coming up on the channel. It's pretty jank. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, tell me, Wills. Like, well, so, yeah. like, as Matt said, it's, yeah. it's, got, it's got some pretty bad voice acting to, to sort of start things off. Um, mm-hmm. But one of our favourite things was, like... So, like, the, the intro scenario is um, the narrator is this, like, uh, professor lady, and she's invited you to her home. Um, so we were playing as Jim Culver, who's like a sort of haunted jazz musician. He's very cool. Um, but he's got like a sort of very sort of like young boy kind of like vibe. Like he's like, oh my God, I'm in over my head. Um, so you arrive at this house and you ring the doorbell and no one answers. And immediately he's like, I guess we'll break the window and climb in. It's like, what are you, well, what are you doing? <laughs> 
So then you break the window and get in the house and you find like a broken vase. Um, and you hear a shout upstairs and you're like, oh no, she must be in trouble. It's like, well, I hope you thought that to begin with because you just broke into her home. <laughs> and she might be shouting because you broke the window. Um, and then you get up and like, oh, the twist is the narrator's actually dead. Although she's still narrating, which is really weird. Mm. But I mean, it's not that big of a twist because it's like five minutes into the game. Um but the my favorite thing is you go through this campaign and we did like two or three missions um, and everyone's like uh, sort of like, you know, they're fighting the people that are turning up. They're cultists, right? So they've got like these big brown robes. You find the character and she's like dead and she's got like a like cult symbol behind her drawn in blood. Like it's a cult. It's very clearly a cult. And they keep calling them burglars. And it's like, oh, come on, lads. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, it's more of those burglars. <laughs> They're not stealing. You're not fooling anyone with that. No. It's like a bad 90s mystery. Like, we yeah. get it. We see who's here. <laughs> Who could it have been? <laughs> Do you think it's that guy who's holding the bloody knife that's been standing around in the background for the entire episode? But yeah, no, it's just like the characters are just so stupid. <laughs> but yeah, that's been my favorite thing. Um, of Ark of Horror Mother's Embrace, but that's what I've been playing oh, this week. That was goodness. pretty pretty concise to yeah. be honest. We we usually go on a, a lot of rambles. Um <laughs> We're like an old couple. We're constantly going on rambles. Aw. <laughs> um but now we move on to the news. Yeah. Uh, so all of these stories available on dicebreaker.com, written by fantastic people like me and like Chase and like Matt. Um this is kind of like uh, a couple of the sort of you know, just cherry-picked uh, bits of info that have been coming out. Some yeah. of the hot stories that we think are going to be interesting to chat about. Mm. Um, and the first one is uh, a little sort of um, problem with the upcoming, as we alluded to, the upcoming uh, Magic the Gathering expansion. Is that what you call it? Set. New set. Set expansion. Set expansion. Right. Um, Expert expansion. Strixhaven. Uh, yeah. Strixhaven is the sort of like... Uh, magic school kind of mm. vibe uh scenario uh a little bit uh pottery a little bit sort of whatever other magic schools there are i'm trying to think of one yeah it's, it's very pottery like they've got like a sort of quidditch clone and all that kind of stuff and houses and mm-hmm. you can like go in your house and all that kind of stuff mm. um but me and I'll, I'll let you talk about this because i haven't had a chance to read it yet but it looks like there's been some problems with oh. the shipping there's so much hoo-ha at the moment. Around, uh... Oh, God, hoo-ha. Yeah. <laughs> Not hoo-ha. To be honest, magic often runs into hoo-ha. But um, mm-hmm. th- this this latest set, uh, yeah, the, the Strixhaven, um, it seems to have been running into problem after problem. And the newest one is uh, there seems to be some issues around the shipment. So there's going to be some shipment delays. Uh, we don't know how much that's linked to COVID or maybe even the the evergreen ever given yeah yeah the, <laughs> that giant ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. <laughs> um, Help me! Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Wizards of the Coast who make magic uh, have not been liable to say. Um, but it seems there are delays, uh, and a pre-release will now be combined with the release date of April twenty-third. Um, uh, so, and for countries um, 
like uh, Thailand. Uh, the bundles were apparently released in May, um, so there's been some some delays. Uh, apparently, mm. there've been some production issues around the Japanese language set boosters, uh, which means mm. there'll be some shortages. Uh, essentially, this all comes off the back of other uh, sort of controversies around the new set, particularly with the artwork. So this was a story we were talking about last week uh, where uh, essentially uh, one of the artists, Jason Felix, had been accused of uh, essentially stealing art or fan art from uh, from another artist and using it for one of the upcoming cards, Crux of Fate. Um, uh, they've actually responded to the, the accusations, basically admitting, it seems, uh, that yeah, they they did do this. Uh, they said I wanted to make a public response, um, uh, and they said I was overworked, but that's no excuse. I've messed up, and I'm trying to make amends. So yeah, uh... mm. <laughs> it's... is anyone else buying this? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, are you just mad that you got caught? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> says he wanted to reach out to the affected artists mm. um, and Wizards of the Coast first, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, artists. It's more than one. Well, because you've got so you've got Kit Lapena, who was the um, I think the fan artist who yeah. made the art, but then you've also got like the the people that he was working with, like the art director and stuff like that, and then Wizards of the Coast. Oh. So, so there's like this is the thing. There there were a lot of <laughs> people involved, you know, invested parties. Yeah. Like, it was it was quite a big deal, yeah, that's... but it's it's a bit short, isn't it? I don't know if that's like just a a, a snippet of the statement. But... Yeah, um, this this is uh, Chase has written this story, uh, and um, yeah, this is what they they found in regards to a response to the accusation. I mean, wizards, as we said last week, were straight away with like shutting yeah. it down and saying, okay, Venice, yeah. uh, we're not going to release this card because it's got stolen artwork on it. Uh, and now Felix has replied to that. Um, it just seems like uh, Strixhaven is going for, you know, through uh, over speed bump uh, and speed mm-hmm. bump on the way to release. Um, yeah, it's it's not a great look, but there's some things you can't control, I guess. Um, COVID, I think, is causing a lot of issues with shipments. Yeah. It seems like uh, even more excuse for people to just play Arena. <laughs> but this is the thing, though. Like I've, you know, I've been enjoying Arena, and as much as there are some bits about Magic that I really don't like, like it is, it is, you know, at its heart, like a pretty solid card game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I just imagine even the deck that I'm playing now, like trying to physically play that, would be such a nightmare. Like trying to count all of the like counters that are on everything and trying to mm-hmm. keep up with all the like numerical stuff that's happening all the ridiculous edge cases and stuff it's just it's such a complicated game and like <laughs> it baffles me that people still play physically i'm glad they do because yeah. obviously we're a tabletop site but but yeah I, I i don't think i could do it honestly not not competitively anyway yeah the cognitive load is certainly intense it's for yeah, that it's game i'm a i'm a pretty like i love card games i've played mm-hmm. a lot of legends of runeterra and magic the gathering and pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! when i was younger so mm-hmm. like i know exact i know exactly what you're feeling i'm like 
Okay, we have to go back to the errata, double check, <laughs> target all spells, but hexproof. Hello? <laughs> Is there a referee here? It's also just the thing that, like, magic's been around for so long. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes you'll play against someone and they'll bring out a card and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, what does this mean? Like, and, and at the very yeah. least, you can, like, hover over it and it'll give you a clue. Like, I remember the first time someone brought a planeswalker out against me. I was like, how does this work? I don't know what this yeah. is. I can't, there's no tooltip. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> What are all these big numbers? (laughs) Yeah, I think the summary from that is Strixhaven. What you know? What's going on? Yeah, we'll see. Which um, you know is a shame. Like, there's there's some cool stuff that seems to be coming out of it. Like, I I will say that that you know each of the sets they do seem to get quite creative, like the new rules and stuff that they put in there. Um, so they they've got like these kind of lesson cards, which is the new thing I think, where it's a sort of Mm -hmm. um. Uh, like sideboard of things that can uh, just sort of stay out of play and then you learn a lesson and then you just get to pick one of them to grab in so it's kind of like a sort of like like backup like it's like your substitutes or something like <laughs> from what I can see from like the card effects that we've seen so far which is kind of interesting hmm. um, but yeah the it's it's more content for the content grinder <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> more reasons for us to sit here and sort of chortle out <laughs> yeah yeah um, uh- Okay, uh, shall we move on to our next story, Wheels? Well, yeah, it looks like there's a um, new addition to the series of Chronicles of Crime. Nina. Yeah, this is quite an interesting one. Again, this is Chase. Shout out to mm-hmm. Chase. Um, yeah, this is a weird, uh, like a, a crossover between two quite popular series. So the Chronicles of, Chronicles of Crime series which comes from Lucky Duck Games, um, which is like a... It's a bit like Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, from what I know. It's like a mm-hmm. co-op mystery discovery game that people seem to be quite fond of. But I think it's got quite a lot of AR and sort of um, app-based elements. Yeah, so I, I think the, the main sort of like gimmick that, that they have is that you scan QR codes on the, the cards that you draw and then the app will give you different info based on the on the like the context that you're scanning in mm. kind of thing. So like one character will actually serve eight different things based on when you scan them and all that kind of stuff, which is quite cool. Mm, yeah. Whereas the uh, game it's combining with uh, the uh, it is so it's called Chronicles of Crime: The Mystery of Tia. Tieta Huacan. Yeah, you Tieta can say Hikan? it. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I, I can't say it, but I'm, I'm giving it my all. Yeah. I'll Google it. I don't know if there's a pronunciation. <laughs> Apologies. Tioti Huacan. Sorry, Jeremy. No, I said Tioti Huacan. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to, to anyone uh, that, uh, you know, if, if we've balls that up. Um, yeah, so it's... More balls. <laughs> It's Teotihuacan. Yeah. So actually, Jeremy was pretty close, yeah. to be fair. Congrats, Jeremy. Your prize <laughs> is coming in the phone. Oh, the dab. There it is. <laughs> yeah, so this is combining with a game called Teotihuacan. Huacan. City of the Gods, um, which was unfortunately designed by a not very nice person. Mm. Uh, ah. Yes. Uh, Daniel Tessink. Tashini? Uh, Fian's um, <laughs> given up on all pronunciations. What a, what a powerful set of news articles. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the who designed the original and has had. Oh a, God, it's this guy. Yeah, born and dice cut uh, ah. ties with them because they're racist. Um, so oh, mm. yeah, we don't know if they're if they have any involvement in this upcoming game. Hopefully not, considering that the publisher cut ties with them. So this is like a combination of those two games. Uh, and it seems to be set in Me- Mexico itself, where investigators have to roll dice and solve mysteries by scanning them with the companion app. So it's like a combination of dice rolling and the companion app stuff from the Chronicles hmm. of Crime. Yeah, um, so like from the from the picture that's sort of like provided on the article, like it it almost looks like you combine the four dice to make a QR code, which is kind of a cool hmm. gimmick. Yeah. Like you, so it's like very, the pips yeah. on the die combine and create like a little QR code, which is kind of cool. Um, hmm. But yeah, that doesn't really uh, <laughs> bring me past the thing that is. It's been based on a design by a, a yeah like, ex- exposed racist designer. So yeah, that's kind of a, an issue for me. It's also like you know, like uh, Daniel Tashini is, is Italian and white from what i understand and this is very much like a mm. like you know ancient mexican culture story mm-hmm. and I, I don't really think that he's in a good place to be designing that stuff in the first place yeah. so i would also question you know who else is working on this project whether or not they've actually spoken to people that know a little bit more about that culture so yeah there's a there's a few things that are making this a little bit of a red flag for me mm-hmm. yeah again there's no confirmation on how much the designer is involved in this version of the game uh, and there's no release date either, so information would be good. <laughs> I wonder if this kind of was already in the works before everything kicked uh, off. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because mm-hmm. these kind of games, yeah, they take months, even yeah, years yeah, sometimes, right? Years. Mm. So, yeah, that's unfortunate. You'd think that we'll they see. would maybe just stop making games for that particular series, but. Apparently the money. This, yeah, it still has more, money. Yeah, that's the sum up. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I'll say it. Capitalism. Let's go. Play the game. Uh, question for for both of you on this, in terms uh, on the electronic side of things, because mm. I'm not an avid board game player yet. I'm working on it. Uh, but what do you think about the evolution of sort of augmented reality or virtual? Because you mentioned the Arkham Horror digital mm-hmm. version, and now this AR version sort of peaked up in this episode. What do you think about electronic digital board game applications advances? I guess. Yeah, we've we've talked about it a little bit. I think it's like so. Board games are definitely sort of like as a whole leaning towards that kind of like app based, uh, mm-hmm. or at least like you know um, assisted uh, sort of like mindset where. It, it kind of it gives you a little bit more onus to not only add new content for the game, but it also allows you to take some of the like bookkeeping out of the hands of the players, which can make things a little bit more fun. Mm. But I definitely mm-hmm. think it, it depends on the execution a lot of the time. Like there's like for example, one what Matt Jarvis's favorite game, Manchester Madness, which is what the Arkham game that we played on it felt like it was based on, is not mm-hmm. something I really enjoy because it's it's so app heavy that it's just like it feels like we're just kind of moving miniatures around for the sake of it rather than actually, mm. you know, it's like, okay, well, what what's the purpose of having a board game attached to this, this app if it's like the main element of the game? Um, yeah. Whereas like things like this, where it's, you know, you're drawing cards and you're working out puzzles, but then 
you might like spot a QR code and uh, especially with like the unlock series which is like a sort of digital uh, escape room board game box thing um you get a lot of the like the newer sort of like more modern versions have these kind of like AR features um but they hmm. won't tell you when to use the AR so you have to kind of work it out yourself, right? So it's like you'll spot a card and you're like, hold on a second. And then, you know, you're like, hold on. What happens if we scan this card? And you're like, oh, okay, there's an, there's another element and stuff like that where it feels a bit more like, you know, it's not just now open the app. Now press this button in the app. Now move a piece. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, all right. Um, so, yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I'll throw it over to me. But like, I, I feel like it's, it's very much like a sort of mix of and hmm, <laughs> for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm a lot more positive about it i think that if it's implemented in a in a really good way i am totally happy with companion apps even interested in what they can do so mm-hmm. yeah so like i think matt's also been playing forgotten waters which has uh some has a companion app that works uh in a in a kind of similar way to mansions but it's more telling the story of the game so you can like you can respond to here's a scenario like what are you going to do and then you give a response and it's like oh this has happened and the the kind of the book that they use is there for them to have a physical space to move around and interact with alongside this story app but like the great thing about that is the fact that you can play it remotely with other people like the actual physical board game using the app which i think is awesome because at the moment it's very difficult to get larger groups together to play with exactly so the Mm -hmm. fact that you can get one copy and use that one copy to play with all these people remotely Mm -hmm. i think is really i think that's an excellent way of using digital integration with a board game because it's just like helping you play the game with other people um mm. with mansions it might be the case of the app replaced the game master position mm-hmm. so originally yeah. there used to be a gm who would do all of that stuff anyway so the app kind of replaces that so it might be more of a fault with the game itself rather than the app because the app is just replacing a role that was previously there because all that person would do would just respond to what was ever written in the book and move stuff for you so I do think I am a, a I am in favor of apps for the most part. I think they can make things a lot easier. They can connect you with other people, and they they can even just do fun silly things like um one night one night ultimate werewolf where it's like you can just select what characters you've got included in the game, and then mm-hmm. the narration will will again replace the gm role so therefore everyone Mm. can play instead of having one person having to do the the call out every night and it's always worked whenever we've used it so same yeah yeah i think it's great so yeah i think yeah there's definitely like a a sort of like problem to be solved uh which which apps can definitely come into as long as it doesn't replace the tabletop experience like yeah sure sure yeah i'm i'm in favor of it yeah, it sounds like based on this two-person sample size I have here, uh, <laughs> which is about as much as you need for a for a yeah. proper, uh, proper examination of it, I think. <laughs> but it sounds like there's this. Uh, it's like it's just starting. It feels like from what you're saying, it's sort of like the electronic or digital application towards board games just starting, and some of them are doing it in a way that's just very like 
the kids are using apps. Let's just yeah. add an app. Yeah. And like, that's not proper execution. And there's mm. some who have thought about the execution as a piece of the game and to supplement maybe cognitive load or to supplement um, the, uh, or create new styles of interactions mm. for that interactive gameplay. Right. Yeah, so I know, very cool. I know that the detective series that Johnny likes quite a lot, the detective of modern crime, board game board series game, yeah. i think that has some app elements that sound quite fun um yeah i think a lot of those mystery type games do have i do yeah i do think that apps apps in mystery games is like a really good combo it because it basically immerse, it helps immerse you i think with yeah but it also mm-hmm. it takes the limit off of so for example i've been playing micro macro recently that we talked about on the last podcast which is like a you know detective kind of like searching around a map game um and basically like one person in that game has to see the answer to the question so they like if the other person gets it wrong it means that you know one person now can't guess anymore because they've been told the answer mm. so you, you do remove that thing of like uh taking people out of the experience to facilitate getting the correct like way through things so yeah uh, there, there's yeah there's definitely a, a um a massive space for it in sort of mystery games unlock does the same thing where it's just like if you think you've worked out a clue you just put like whatever it is the code in the app or something it'll just tell you if you're right or wrong it doesn't sort of like replace the game experience you're still shuffling through cards and looking at things and all that kind of stuff it's just like like you said me and it's like a virtual gm kind of thing hmm. yeah and i think there is a certain amount of snobbery around get board games with apps because i think there are some mm. people in the community who are like oh it's like it needs to be entirely physically tabletop otherwise it's not a problem yeah that yeah, it's not proper game experience, or it's for like kids, or it's too mm. gimmicky, or something. Yeah, and I'm just kind of like, if it makes it more accessible to people, then I don't see what the problem here is. Like, you don't have to play it. Like, yeah, you can play original Mansions of Madness if you want. Like, no one's gonna stop <laughs> you from doing that. I Go away and it leave still us alone. exists. It doesn't burn up the second an app is created. Yeah. Yeah. Go on ahead, Jeremy. No, I was going to say that was going to be my follow up, like sort of my sub before getting to the next article is just like, do you do you feel like you're a traditional style board gamer? Like, let's not delve too far into digital. Are you excited for the digital? That was going to be. But you pretty much answered that. So, yeah, I think as long as it doesn't just as long as it doesn't lean too much in it's a gimmick, Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. I think it's a really good step forward because like not everyone is doing it it's still like a fairly fresh thing i don't think everyone will do it because i think there's still a lot of designers who prefer not to make those kind of games it's not mm-hmm. like the whole medium is going to be taken over by apps or anything yeah right um, well it significantly increases the production cost as well right because yeah. suddenly you need to have a programmer on staff visual artists yeah. to work on it all that kind of stuff so like it does it, it is a much more expensive way of producing a board game. It's why you see mostly like the big companies doing it, like Fantasy Flight and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think board games that don't need an app are gonna sort of suddenly disappear or anything. So even if you are like a, a real traditionalist, which I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but, <laughs> 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 yeah, but thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thank you for coming anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, next up, we've got one that's been written by yourself, actually, Mian. Yeah. Um, you're kind of. I'm afraid you're. You are sort of like bearing the uh, the weight of all the news because I do not work on the website. No. So I, <laughs> I don't you, know the hot news stories. You, you have um, not walked the lands of the website. Yeah, I, d- I don't hold up the sky like Atlas. Um, but yeah, we've got Camelot news. Yeah, this which is, is one of your faves. This is more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is yeah, more positive Camelot. news. Camelot, everyone. <laughs> Uh, it's time to talk about Camel Up. Um, yeah, so Camel Up is a is a game that I think we all quite like. Have you played it, Jeremy? Not at all. No, <laughs> I don't even. I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's a game about racing camels. So like you're betting on camel races. Perfect. Yeah, yeah and you. The cam- it's the only game I need. Yeah, <laughs> it's genuinely. It's great. I would recommend Camel Up. Uh, Matt's mum is obsessed with it, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, she loves Camel Up. Uh, but <clears throat> turns out there's going to be a spin-off game to the series, which is exciting because Camel Up is, uh, as far as I know, on it, on its own. I think there's a card game. But, um, yeah, this one is based it's on... It's a real Camel Up cinematic universe. Yeah, the... <laughs> <laughs> the CCU. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> Because um, now we're going to find out the backstory behind the what the camels do when they're not racing. Mm, I know you've all been the, asking. You're going to see the dark history of all the camel racing in the in eight years past as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out when the camels aren't racing, they're pulling caravans full of uh, wonderful goods that people want to want to get a hold of. Um, so in this game, you're bidding on markets. So it's like an auction game. So you have to. There are various markets with, with goods in them and you have to... Um... So I'm being really distracted because I'm looking at the news article and we've got a fantastic new fe- um, feature on the website uh, where uh, videos will play automatically. So I've just got this this trailer of Camel Up off-season, it's called, playing underneath it. And it's very distracting. Oh, there's some speedy camels. Yeah, the camels that. are up to things. There's hijinks. Um I will also say if you know if you're watching this on YouTube rather than listening on on your favorite podcast app of choice, uh, or you know, but I'll frame it the other way around. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you're missing out on a fantastic camel impression from Jeremy in the background as well. Well, I missed out on that. I was looking at the news. Exactly. Feed, so. <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, regardless, you you bid on the markets. If you win, you get to you get to pick your your market first. You get all the goods, and then you sell the goods. So that's the whole shebang. Uh, apparently it's due go. to come out in June so if you like camels and bidding and yeah yeah Jerry's winking <laughs> I think that's a yes if you like it when Jeremy you. winks then get on down to that's, camel up off season that's a yes from Jeremy <laughs> I will say that when I saw the title of this especially after the conversation we just had I thought it said camel up off season swaps the board games racist and I was like oh no again <laughs> yeah. no the quick glance is like, it's, no, no, it's please racing. no. It's racing. Oh, it's God, racing. God. The camels are racing. Well, they're not in this one. Happily. They're happily they're racing. very happy. <laughs> Nobody's having a bad time. No, don't worry about the camels. Just don't ask. Uh, d- d- anyway, let's get it. Do we want to do this very quick last news piece? Yeah, let's Because I want to see Jeremy's reaction. Two. This is the whole point of me putting this on. I just want to see what Jeremy thinks. 
<laughs> okay, so penultimate story here. Lost Cities creator. No, no, no. I, I, not that one. We're just gonna skip. We're that. skipping that one. Okay, well, a very, very, very <laughs> quick. Lost Cities creator and Evernote artists team up for a co-op deck building game. So defend a fortress against invading forces in the Siege of Rundar, an upcoming game created by the Lost Cities designer Ryan Knizia. It's Ryan Knizia. He's up. He's up to it. It's his one thousand five hundred seventy-second game uh, with illustrated by <laughs> artists for Everdale, Andrew Bosley. So have a little look out for that. But finally. Oh, biggest news story yeah, of the week. I want to see no, what I Jeremy thinks that, about this. So, I've, well, obviously I'm Jeremy's seen it. the doc, so I feel like we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna spoil the surprise a little bit. But the the docs uh, that we use, like we just like put some little bullet points from each story, just to give like a little sort of like heads up for people reading. Oh, here's what we're gonna be talking about. This last one has just got X's <laughs> underneath. There's just no information I, I provided see it. because all I'm the scared. info you need is in the title. Here we go, man. Over to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did, I did this one, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. at the the main cor- correspondent of the hottest news. Uh, there is now an edition of Monopoly uh, where you you trade in SpongeBob SquarePants memes. So, yeah. Oh, Monopoly SpongeBob SquarePants meme edition. <laughs> uh, Not just SpongeBob edition, but SpongeBob yeah. SquarePants meme edition. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I'm pretty sure there's already a SpongeBob edition probably of monopoly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this is the next i guess the next step into hell i don't know i yeah all i can think about is the coming nft version of monopoly <laughs> oh, no. now at this oh, point God, is, is there yeah. real question is there like a monopoly bitcoin version like it's just oh, bitcoin surely, themed right surely if, if there's there something, has to be if there's some really tasteless thing they can do for a quick buck monopoly is that <laughs> yeah like, oh yeah We've, i've honest, seen it <laughs> I'm looking at the pictures yeah. of this thing as well, and it looks so awful. Yeah. They've got like a tie-dye background as yeah. well. Yeah, finding images oh. for this was, was an experience. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, um, it's, you know, you, it's just memes in it. Um, ha- I can confirm, <laughs> handsome Squidward. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. There you go. Wonderful impression. That was a whole sentence there. We can confirm <laughs> handsome Squidward. Yeah. He, handsome Squidward. He's in there. I, I can only imagine as well this has been created by people who are really hot and with it. Uh, and they yeah. have all of the, the fresh meme culture. And it's not going to be um, really, really, really outdated and difficult to, to look at and play. I'm sure it's, that won't be the case. <laughs> it seems like it's a uh, like a stretch into like the apples to apples territory or like cards against humanity territory yeah, yeah. too. It's like, oh, we're adding this cool new gimmick that mm. makes it feel like another board game or card game at the same time. Yeah. Monopoly, I'm... the brand that steals. <laughs> the, yeah, the brand that steals. That's excellent. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't really seem to be any new mechanics. They've just replaced mechanics with yeah, it's yeah. just you just get a meme instead of a property. It <laughs> seems yeah. to be the only thing. <laughs> Pretty like... much, uh, you get you pay likes instead of money. <sighs> yeah, I knew you'd take that. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Yeah, the new monopoly. When I received <laughs> what the fun thing is, I received the press email from this, and then Matthew Jarvis forwarded me the the press email he'd received on it. So not only did I, not only did the angels hearken the news. Once they they felt it prudent to tell me twice uh, about this hot new game, and I just feel like I'm. In fact, someone commented on the story saying, "I really hope me and talks about this in the podcast." <laughs> I feel like I've I feel like I've made a brand, and it's 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 terrible. 
your reputation is preceded. <laughs> yeah, to I, I will say that you know, Jeremy, you were asking about an NFT monopoly. This kind of is an NFT monopoly game because it is, yeah. it's a game in which they have falsely assumed that you can a- assign value to an image on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so actually just trying to see if there was like a Facebook edition of Monopoly, like trading likes instead of dollars. Oh, God, I'm sure uh, if it if it it's makes in the works. Angry, it, they probably done it. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or I've accidentally spoken it into the ether, and I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> they probably listen to this podcast, you know me, and they're like gathering ideas from all the all the things that we like scoff at. They're like, oh yeah, no, that would work pretty well. Yeah, 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 that's money. That's money. They've got a, they've got a chart of my face, and it's like <laughs> how tired, how tired and exhausted do I look? And they're like, okay, where do we place this in the chart? So what yeah. reaction we think we're gonna get from her? Like this one is definitely it's in the it's. I feel like um, oh like this is I'm doing my mom again. I feel like the character from Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> who sits at the end just i've seen so much <laughs> i've seen monopoly games you people would have believed yeah i've seen <laughs> spongebob I've meme seen... edition up the shoulders of orion yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the, the problem is uh at the no, end of that speech, Rutt. he says they'll all be lost, like tears in the rain, which I, I wish. Yeah, it, <laughs> I wish me and... Sorry, Rutger Hauer. Yeah, I am Rutger Hauer mm. at the end of Blade Runner. I've seen. Yeah, and then I'll die. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> when enough monopoly die. has been birthed into the yeah, earth yeah. that is the end of your time and a dove well, will be- just be- a single dove will fly off <laughs> <laughs> well, be- before me and dies uh, let's do some quick questions from the audience yeah. and uh, you might have seen Jeremy we put a little tweet out asking if anyone had yeah. some questions specifically emails Emails. I saw uh, that. I saw that. If you've got a question that you want to ask us here on the Dicebreaker podcast, then you can either reach us on at join Dicebreaker over on Twitter um, or email. any number of other different social yeah, media. Yeah, you can platforms. email but, us. But mainly, yeah, uh, mainly the email. Yeah, podcast at dicebreaker.com. So hit us up over there and let us know what yeah. you think. Um, <laughs> but our first question is from Twitter. It's from Keegan EXE, who I've seen on your Discord, actually, Jeremy. Uh, Hi, Keegan. And Keegan asks, uh, hashtag TriFoldsJam, inventor of RPGs, what are some trends that you see that you like, that you don't like, and would like to see just in general? That is the question from Keegan AXE, the inventor of RPGs. What are some trends that you like to see, don't like to see, and would like to see just in general? Uh, I can vouch that Keegan has made the world's first role-playing game, so check out their work. Check it on Wikipedia, uh, it's true. Yeah, for, for, for reference, the world's first role-playing game in the same vein that D&D 5th Edition is the world's greatest role-playing game. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see, trends. Trends I'm seeing. Uh, talks about like the AR stuff with uh, board games, uh, digital ecosystems, what Multiverse is doing over in there, Neck of the Woods, Roll, and uh, the Roll application, mm. which is a terrible Google brand uh, situation. I can never find the site ever, and I have <laughs> the... So terrible. Yeah, help me. I'm sorry, I say it every time it comes up, but it's true. It, it's really hard to find, you guys. Figure it out, please. <laughs> um, but I love this trend of thinking about digital, because I think it increases... It, does two things for the industry. One, 
it increases the scope of accessibility. So Mm -hmm. a friend of mine, Spencer Campbell and me talk about, uh, have talked about this sort of concept of digital ecosystems for, as a principle for designing tabletop role-playing games. And I think about stuff like coordinating art direction that thinks about colorblindness, right? Like when you're buying a print product, you can't really, um, assist people who have, uh, that sort of, accessible need toggleable option is there yeah exactly when you think about digital pdf living in an ecosystem on a website or something like that they could flip a switch and then they'd be like oh wow this is actually really amazing it doesn't look like blurs of blues and greens that Mm. i can't see right um i think about e-reader stuff and pub readers and moby readers i think about um I think about how it can take text to speech, right? Create an uh, or or excuse me, auditory experience. I think about audio uh, book versions of table tabletop games, and I know that there's a difference in accessibility too. Like you, by creating a digital only space, you create a atmosphere in which people who don't have money for electronics probably can't access your product, mm. right? So it, it's sort of a give and take, but I think the pros overall maybe out because in the age of technology, I think almost speaking strictly to the vacuum of America, I think a lot of people already have like smartphone devices, maybe tablets, maybe computers. Uh, I would be hard pressed to find people that don't have some sort of electronic device that allows them to access an application mm-hmm. at this point, at least in like an you know, 80 percentile something. I'm making that number up, mm. but I'm sure it's a statistic I could look up on the internet mm. easily in this moment. <laughs> um, as far as trends that are, that maybe I don't like, I, you know, just the traditional gamer thing. It's like your game is still, even in like in reference to this talk about the electronic future of games, uh, your print game is still going to be there. Your mm. book is not going to evaporate the second an application is made for it. So, like, stop yelling at people. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> in general, just stop yeah. it. Yeah, the things that just we stop don't yelling like to see at when you yell at people. Yeah. Don't worry, <laughs> yeah. your Euro game about Venice trading in the 1800s is gonna <laughs> yeah. be there. Don't yeah. worry. There's going to be eight other versions. Yeah, there'll be a hundred other versions of that type of game. So you don't need to worry about all this newfangled stuff. <laughs> and then a trend I'd like to speak into the ether is more about like settings, like modern settings. I think um, this is my personal taste. So I'm, I don't want to offend anyone by saying this, but I think like the tavern adventure thing is kind of trite at this point. Yeah, in, no, it's, that's like, something we've tabletop role playing games. Yeah. Yeah. So I would let like um, there is a another designer whose last name escapes me or maybe I don't know it and I only know like the internet persona, but her name is Ava. Uh, she has helped create the game Errant, which is sort of like a, a love letter to OSR uh, sort of thing. That's my basic understanding of it. But in one of her blog articles, she talks about what does hip hop fantasy look like, mm. right? And so I would love more settings or conceptions for games in which we explore the modern landscape. Like we live in a modern 2020, 2021 era uh, and explore that city life stuff and explore sort of the customs of the of all the modern cultures. Right. I, I think that it's cool to do period pieces, but I think there's a lot more room to explore when it comes to ex- like what uh, I, I watched, uh, I've been watching, 
Fantasy High by Dimension 20. Uh, very cool D&D actual play. And it sort of has like this modern feel to it. They also do one called Sleeping City where they play a New York, a magical New York City and do D&D that way. And those are very fascinating to me because I find them relatable. Mm. Like, I think there's this thing with period pieces where if you bring it to the table and it has all this slang terminology from 80s, 60s, 1700s, whatever sort of the scope is, there's a bigger learning curve than if you're like, yeah, there are mobile devices. There's a hot dog stand down on the corner every Sunday and like there's a farmer's market. Like you can track all those things and layer the fantasy on top of them. So Mm. I would love to see more modern fantasy uh, be explored Mm. in role-playing games. Uh, It looks like that's Ava Islam, by the way, uh, for the format. Thank you. Anyone who's interested in errant. Um, But yeah, next question here. Uh, So the second one for Jeremy, but then we'll get into some more general ones that we can all answer. Um, And this one is from Pangalactic on Twitter, who asks, talk to us about the origins. Draw your dice. Where did it come from? And what are your aims with it? Oh, God. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) This is like a job interview question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Jeremy, tell me what you're trying to achieve. Where do you see yourself in five years? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to flip the script. Uh, Wheels, what's your biggest weakness? (laughs) (laughs) My biggest weakness is um, cutting off my answers too early. I thought you were going to say... Is that real? I thought you were going to say something like, my biggest weakness is just being too cool. (laughs) My biggest weakness is... Yeah, I was like, it suddenly got really real for me. (laughs) I was like, please bit me. Oh, God. Uh, Let's see. The origins of DYD... Uh, draw your dice come from me being at a loss at the end of 2020. So when the pandemic started, I just left a job as a wine manager over at, at a wine bar. And that was at the, at the like literally December 31st, June 1st, uh, January 1st. And so I had a lot of money saved up and I was going to take like a two month vacation, to, like think about things and find a new job. And then the, pandemic started to swell up in around March and my resume says I can only work at restaurants basically and I did not want to do that during COVID uh they weren't hiring especially when lockdown happened in June for America and basically I have been jobless for a whole year uh shout out to my partner Grace who is uh such a support system and beautiful and I love you if you're listening to this and um but she has been really pulling the financial weight uh, for both of us. And I tried to find some remote jobs. Like uh, I applied for like a key bank position for remote teller and thing. But ultimately, I don't like to work for people. That's what it boils down to. I don't, I don't like to be on someone else's time schedule or at least not feel like I'm helping a team rather than being a worker bee. So uh, November, December came around and I kept putting this idea into the Brain Trust Discord, listen to the Brain Trust podcast. Uh, but I put out like, hey, if I do, I, I find like there's not, I was trying to learn game design around September or October and I couldn't find like a podcast that really taught like role-playing game concepts. They explored video games, they explored board games, but there was nothing really like that wasn't an actual play also. Like it just felt like it, it wasn't hitting the right mark for me. So, so I said, hey, you know, I would love to explore some other voices in the indie scene. What if I did a show where I interviewed people and create a vault for people like me who are just learning about game design and get those principles, philosophies, those trials by fire, um, 
and put them in a, in a space and everyone was game for it. And I started interviewing people. So that was sort of the origin and the aim for it now has evolved into something that I really want to make this a new career for myself. Um, I always want the knowledge to be free of access. I want anyone to be able to uh, garner it and ap- apply it to their own creations. But at some point I want to think about like, I am doing work here. I am using these networks and these connections to bring people knowledge and figuring out how to monetize that is sort of my forward aim for the show. But the knowledge will, the knowledge and the conversation will always come first for both myself and the listeners. Mm. Yeah. I think there is like a sort of evolving media landscape in tabletop. Cause like, it's very much, you know, if you look, if you look at video games as a comparison, it's been around for so long, but you can get most types of content out of uh, video game stuff in in a way that you just can't with tabletop. Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously something that Dicebreaker are filling a niche in as well. Like we're probably the largest like journalistic uh, board game site out there right now, um, or mm-hmm. at least we're on the way to be. I think um, so. Like there's there's loads of like niches that need to be filled. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about those and you're thinking maybe I should do that as well, like you know that that we need that kind of. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, drive yeah. to to create in the industry to to give us new ways to experience tabletop yeah. and to think about tabletop. Firstly, acknowledge us as being the titans of the yeah. industry that we yeah. are. First, pay your tithes to us, yeah. and, <laughs> and <laughs> then you do what you want. And then slag us off behind our back. <laughs> You're operating on our turf. Yeah, yeah please <laughs> respect. All right, we're like the. <laughs> You know, like an in an anime or something, where there's the the guy who's been around for a while. And he's like, yeah, I know what I'm. Like the the haughty, like, like guys, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm experienced. I'm I'm the the hot shot here. We're like, we're like that. To everyone else, just, <sighs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Okay, that's how so. I describe it. <laughs> Let's move on to another question. Um, we've got oh, we got we got a little bit of time for one or two. Um, so these are general ones for the team. Mm. Um, so this one comes from Oliver Layton. Me and do you want to read this one out? Yeah, I can do that. Um, uh, MJ, as we call him. Oh, Matt Jarvis says I cut this one down to just the question, but it was very, very lovely. lovely. So thank you. Thank you for a long, lovely email, Oliver Layton. Yes. Uh, hi, Dicebreaker team and assorted pets. At the start of lockdown, I started playing Curse of Strahd. Spooks! Spooks! Uh, while I love the setting, D&D 5e leaves a lot to be desired indeed, especially in a horror setting. Uh, so are there any settings or modules for tabletop role-playing games that you've fallen in love with, but have been disappointed with the rules game itself? Also, is there a better system you could think of for playing a setting like Curse of Strahd in? Uh, sorry for the long question. Keep up the amazing content and have a lovely day, Oliver. Thank you, Oliver, for your question. Yeah, I I can see why yeah. you'd be. We played Curse uh... Straw, didn't we? <laughs> do you, do you <laughs> we remember did, what that was like? We definitely didn't do it in a horror vein, though, did we? Mean? <laughs> no, because yeah, I DM'd that one, and let's just say when I played fast and loose with the rules, oh boy, did I! <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you haven't watched it, Jeremy. But imagine D and D Curse Strad, but like as a Muppet production. Um, and that gives you a kind of vibe of the of the Let's Play that we did. I, remember... I immediately imagine like Muppets Treasure Island. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, Muppets Treasure yeah. Island. I remember yeah. one of the, the comments from the video was something like, um, <laughs> is it true you can you can kill Strahd with just this 
With just a steak, and I was like, oh, my sweet child. No, it was, is it true that you can kill Shard with just a wooden sword covered in piss? That was the actual thing that happened. Yeah, and I was like, in my game, you can, yeah. That's the, that's the, yeah, that's, that pretty much, like, sums up this, Mm. this person probably had similar problems with. But yeah, I, so D and D five E is is not built for a lot of things. Like it's built for dungeon crawls. Yeah. Um, so if you're not into dungeon crawls, then uh, it can be a little bit frustrating because you might think we get to go to a spooky mansion and there's vampires yeah. and ghosts and all sorts of things, and then actually it just plays like, oh, okay, it's got like a spooky vibe, or actually we're just stabbing yeah. things just like we always are. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, great horror RPGs out there, uh, not necessarily ones that would work with strad itself but like you can definitely get similar vibes it, it depends on the type of horror you're going for as well my favorite horror rpg which i talk about all the time is um 10 candles which is a mm-hmm. incredible like tragic horror game it's very much built for one shots because like the gimmick is that your characters will die at the end so like it, it gives you like a very much uh uh t- like a tool set to to make your characters have like these really epic but quite sad sort of like final moments mm. kind of thing whereas you can also do more sort of like um, I mean, there is a game called Monster of the Week, which is, you know, it's, it's that kind of Monster of the Week vibe, which it could be like Scooby-Doo or it could be more like Buffy. Like it, it depends on the kind of vibe that you take it with, but it's built for that kind of, here's the big antagonist of the week and we're going to try and take them down. Yeah. There's all sorts of different horror RPGs. I'm sure you've got some as well that you could recommend them to. Um, yeah. So in terms of system and setting sort of disconnect, um, I really love the idea of Vampire the Masquerade. Like, I was mm. obsessed with this game. Uh, Vampire has a lot of issues beyond the the rules setting. You know, uh, it, it, unfortunately, had people involved in it who were very bad. Uh, luckily, it's now under control of Renegade, so hopefully they'll be able to do some things to make it more accessible and better in terms of representation and get rid of some of that toxic stuff that's in it. Because uh, the concept itself, I love. Like, I love the idea of these different clans of vampires uh, lurking around in modern-day LA or wherever you want to set it. Uh, and they they all sort of, like... Yeah, it's like wars against each other in, in the dark in terms of humanity doesn't know that these people exist. It's just got a very, like, dust till dawn sort of style about it where it's a bit trashy it's quite 90s but um i think it's really cool but the rules in terms yeah they're not the most accessible they're quite they're quite crunchy even with the newest edition i'm hoping renegade helps with that in terms of maybe um, uh, simplifying that down uh, even more um and in terms of other horror RPGs that i'd rather recommend Dread is one of my favourite RPGs of all time. That's um, great, yeah. I love Dread so much. Um, you can buy it online quite easily. You can just buy the PDF. Um, and it's it's just a fantastic concept where you yeah, you have a Jenga tower and that that controls the entire system of the game, where the players have to pull a certain number of blocks to perform certain actions. Obviously the more difficult the action, the more blocks you pull. Like, it's that straightforward. But the, the whole experience is about building up tension and release. Like, it's it's a masterclass in pacing and why it's so good for, for horror games. Because the best kind of horror is 
building your tension up and then releasing that at like the best mm. moment. So mm-hmm. um, play Dread. What about you, Jeremy? Uh, I think you both said the games that I would have recommend <laughs> in terms of like a good horror alternative. Obviously, neither both Ten Candles and Dread. Maybe you could do Dr- Curse of Strahd in Dread, yeah, right? Because you would just you do yeah. the role play yeah, Dread, of it. Dread's yeah. pretty open. Yeah. Um, but the two biggest things that make... Ho- I think when people think horror initially, especially when they're trying to um, drive that using the vehicle of D&D, is that you can't, you can't tell a player to be scared. You can't mm-hmm. like create a jump scare through your words all you can do is set we talk about this in wheels episode on dyd when we uh talk about 10 candles but the two biggest components are atmosphere and time time that something bad is going to happen Mm. it's about the when it's about how long until that happens then atmosphere is sort of setting the precedence for things that have the potential to scare a player, right? When you talk about safety tools and stuff like that, you learn about highlights that other people want to experience. Maybe my highlight is, you know, I want to be trapped in a room full of darkness, right? That's scary to me. And I've set that precedent. So I'm going to be scared. I'm going to initiate that horror, right? But as far as like the disconnect from D&D, as long as it has hit points, you don't have to be scared of it. That's really what it boils down to is because the game's built for you to take it down, um disconnective games i mean D for me obviously it doesn't do a lot of things that it promises it can do for sure uh it is not obvious in that way and i You're think there's also off camera yeah 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 <laughs> off camera i'm looking at things sorry for the silence everyone in the podcast realm um <laughs> I feel like there's a tiny bit of disconnect for me from what is it? I can't weave in a way with the, I don't know if anyone here has played weave. It's like a I've not uh, self-made tarot card set. Use your oh, no, phone. Wait, we did play weave. Yeah. We did I think I did. See, yeah. I think I, I think I saw one of you on there. Cause you, uh, it was like a long time. It's like on their discord that I saw it. Cause Erica Ishii was doing like the, um, doing the the example videos and stuff like the rules videos and Mm. things and i think i saw someone in a a, anyways point is is that i think they're at least in the beginning i haven't checked out weave in a long time but in the beginning a lot of the settings didn't have clarified rules in Mm. them it felt very uh beta in the best way but also in a way that like I didn't understand how to play. Yeah. Like I yeah, could not, I, fi- I knew how to make a character for mm. sure. It, it totally had that down, but like any of the play sets, I'm like, how, how do yeah. I engage with this further? Yeah. Are we just improving now at this point? How do I use my powers, et cetera, et cetera. That's mm. like so, my biggest issue with some RPGs that are very loose. Like there is a, mm-hmm. there is a very, there is an in-between space of too chunky and too loose. And I think there mm-hmm. are games that like you're okay. How do I actually interact with this? Like mm-hmm. you know, you've given me a chance to get this character. What do I actually do in the game? And then yeah. it does result in like improv, which like I don't. I need more direction than that. I think yeah. yeah. There's, there's there are certain game sets like 
you know, like D&D or like, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay or whatever, where mm-hmm. if there is a thing that you want to do, there is a rule that you have to follow to do it. And like every single thing has been mapped out for you or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas there are games where it's just like the rule book is basically just like just vibes, man. Just like, vibes, just, yeah. <laughs> just vibe it, man. It's fine. And like I think it, it very much depends on the kind of player that you are, based on like which like point on that spectrum you fo- you fit. Um, but certainly, like I think there are, there are some games that are super. Um, I don't want to say like arty because it, it makes it sound like a sort of an insult, but it's not meant to be. Like there are there are games that are very sort of open ended and very free flowing. Like you know, we talk about sort of. Um, uh like lyric games where like they're not mm-hmm. they're not you know they're designed to be read as much as they are to be played they're, they're almost like a small um like thought piece as much as they are a game um but i think there are some games that read like that but then position themselves as if they're like more like a a sort of gamey game and i don't want to i don't want to sort of say that anything that doesn't have explicit rules is not a game because that's not really how it works but mm-hmm. there are certainly ones where i think you can get frustrated if you play it and you're like I don't get this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And it, yeah, it, it can be difficult sometimes, especially if you're not um, experienced with with different role playing games. Mm. For sure. Okay, right. We will move on to the next question. Jeremy, would you like to read out a question? I don't know if you're in the Google Doc with us. Sure. Yeah, I have the doc. By Zet. Or these There we are. Uh, indie RPG designer of the Wretched, a Dragon Game, and Dice Souls at Pan Galactic. What's the most exciting thing? you've seen coming out of indie spaces man <laughs> um yeah for me it's probably i think it's definitely in the role playing sort of sector of things like indie games uh i think indie board games uh some of the more exciting ones are you know maybe ones that use like app integration and they're often mm-hmm. popping up on kickstarter but i think a lot of the indie board game designers uh often do quite straightforward things that i think mm. because they're more affordable they kind of do more limited it's, yeah yeah that's the problem yeah um so like kudos to them that's great uh but that doesn't really do a heck of a lot for me whereas i think the indie rpg like the scene quest like scene quest popped up so many fun and interesting rpg concepts mm-hmm. um uh for me first time because i'd never really explored that space before but like i found myself like buying several role playing games yeah yeah uh including several that i'm excited about because they're just playing with for me, the thing that is exciting is uh, the concept of the game. So, mm-hmm. like, not necessarily, oh, this is an entirely new mechanic you've seen. Don't get me wrong, I love it when RPGs play with that, like, um, like Dread, like uh, mm-hmm. this this Discord has ghosts, uh, or Sleep Away, as you've mentioned before, mm-hmm. Wills, I still need to play those two. Uh, mm-hmm. I love it when RPGs play with like the physical medium, what you can do as players, but also like fun concepts that, like you've said before, Jeremy, like settings that you've not seen before. So mm-hmm. one that I I uh, backed was called, um, uh, Our, I think it's Your God is Dead or something. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as soon as I read the concept, I'm like, I'm on board because it's very focused, which I, I actually quite like. And it's, um, you are like head of a cult and your god just died overnight, which I think is hilarious. 
uh, and no one else knows, only you do. So you're like, let's just keep up the pretense that the god is still alive and telling us oh, what to god. do. And so the entire game, it's obviously meant to be a one shot. The entire game is this: you are telling your followers what God has told you to do, but you're like, you're seeing how far you can kind of push this this stupid like situation. And it just, to me, it just results in, for me, it feels like it's shenanigans. And I think that's I think that's great. So that's the most exciting thing I'm seeing in indie spaces right now, making focused, really fun, interesting ideas with role-playing games. Uh, yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I think we, I am slightly running out of time because I've got to jump into another thing, so I'll have to do a very, very concise answer. But um, I, yeah, I, I just, I just absolutely, I, I think I'm, I'm always way more excited about indie designers than I am about anything else. Like when I see. Simon have released a big new box full of miniatures. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. But then I see this person is making a weird little game that fits on a card, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like I'm way more excited about that stuff. So the, yeah, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I will shout out. Um, there is mending, uh, sorry is, that, is it mending that you're thinking about or is it well no yeah so there was a, there was a whole jam um and it was called um is it pleasure cards i think the pleasure cards. yeah jam, yeah yeah uh mm-hmm. which is basically like it was a whole game jam uh for those who don't know game jam is like a, a sort of like you try and make a game in a very very short period of time and just put it out it's like an, it's an excuse to game design um but it's essentially like a, a jam that asked everyone to make a game that fits on a business card and it is such a cool idea because and so many like strange little designs that came out i think i think was it gian that made the that made mending is that am i right in thinking that gian Shing? um i think you now. might be John. confused mm. with the oh my god there was the, the game about journaling made... there was the uh... you're, you're thinking of i think <laughs> you're thinking of the game about journaling which is like collecting um a book of memories about a, a professor or something it's been a long time no yeah no giantium is the designer who made um the cryptozoology game yes um but then i thought they had also made a pleasure card game i can't don't know mate (laughs) this is the other problem with indie stuff is that like there's 400 different um designers in your head at all one time and you can never remember their so names and many. some of them some of them just go by a twitter handles and yeah. you're just like oh god uh so i apologize if i ever say your game and i've forgotten your name but um I th- uh, yeah i think possibly it was them who had made something but i i remember seeing that one on twitter where you you basically you fold the little business card in half and it becomes a tent um and you're making like a little campsite out of household items and it's really really cute and really sweet um but yeah uh, as I said, we're running out of time. What about so you, Jeremy? Give us, give us an idea. What, what do you see? In- uh, the quick one is I am loving, like, what I'm seeing out of the indie space is probably, like, a general thing, and that's goals. Like, uh, one of the quips that I have with D&D is that it's kind of a goalless game. The goal has to be derived by the GM or the party at hand or whatever like that. But things like, um, I know it's not super indie currently because it's sort of attached to evil hat and everything but band of blades having Mm. like the goal to get the sky dagger keep um there is 0.6 e by um max v who they've created a game where like you have to get to the castle in time and 
has a present like map that you go through. So mm. I like goal fo like uh Mian was talking about goal focused games, like very focused down. You're doing yeah. this thing and there is a defined end to this. And I think it sets really good expectations yeah. for players because they know what they're getting into, right? If we're playing Band of Blades, we know that at minimum we're playing 12 sessions to get mm. the Sky Dagger. There's no questions about that. Uh if we're playing Dread, we're playing until everyone dies like that's kind of unless you make new characters and you know figure it out yourself uh 10 candles when all 10 candles are out game's over that's it there's no other talking about it uh and i like that because you know one of the biggest adult troubles for playing tabletop games unless you're all yeah is scheduling (laughs) it's so hard to get people together for not only like four hours one time but four hours 12 times Mm. yeah Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, forget about it. So, yeah, it is good to see the evolution of RPGs from these massive sprawling things with huge universes to hey, let's just this fun, stupid scenario you could play in like an Mm -hmm. hour or so. Uh, I do like that. Get away. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I live in Flyland, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm very sorry, everyone. I'm gonna have to cut the podcast short. Although it is, we've been recording for about an hour yeah now, so let's about, do it. about what you'd expect from an episode we'll but let's a very quick outro um yeah very quick outro a big shout out to to jeremy for joining us jeremy please do tell us where we can find more of you in in you have 30 seconds go <laughs> sell yourself for 30 seconds jeremy gage at jeremy gage five over on twitter and you can listen to the draw your dice podcast on your favorite podcast distributor and you can also check me out on the call-in show at twitch.tv slash adam ebell yeah Bam. I don't even need 30 seconds. Go and do that. Ian, go. Uh, yeah, go and look at their website, dicebreaker.com. You can see new articles. <laughs> it's really good. There's news as well from me and Chase. Thank you very much. And then you can also <laughs> find Dicebreaker video content on youtube.com forward slash Dicebreaker, where myself and Lodis and possibly a new hire coming very, very soon will be making all sorts of Oh my God! <laughs> what a bomb drop. Oh my God. Thank you very much for watching, everyone. Thank you very much to Jeremy for being our very special guest. We'll see you on the next one. And have a lovely day. Goodbye. Goodbye.